Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. So happy you are here in this new year. And today we are talking with Ben Buchanan of Unified Fields. And he and I are going to be talking about what we wish everybody knew (laughs) when they start thinking about doing on-farm processing. Uh, There are some really good announcements in this, so tune in if you've ever thought about doing on-farm processing. Um, Welcome to Food Safety University. I'm Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele, and this is the one podcast where you can get everything you need to know about food safety and how to run a food manufacturing plant for all of those small and local food manufacturers. If you are into local and sustainable food and agriculture, this is the podcast for you. Every week we cover new and original ideas around how to get the most out of your HACCP planning and how to get your plant up and running and continue running in a way that fills your dreams. So grab a pen and paper because every week you're going to need it. See you on the inside. Hello and welcome everybody to this week's episode of the podcast. I am super excited to have Ben Buchanan here. He is with Unified Fields out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I am just going to have you introduce yourself, Ben. Let us know who you are, what you do, and all that good sort of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, my name is Ben Buchanan. I'm the founder of Unified Fields. Um, and I've been a butcher for about 20 years now coming on and uh and started you know when I was 18 years old just as a as a job really I needed a job and uh, and you know once I got into you know working in the slaughterhouse and got over like the uh intense physical labor and 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 everything and the, you know the, the gruesomeness will say it uh it uh, I really got to see that there was a real art and a craft to the business and like took a shining to it and just kind of have treated it almost like a professional sport, you know, for my entire career, just trying to be like the best, most efficient and cleanest and, uh, you know, top quality as possible. And uh, so last year I just uh, started my own business, which um, was originally intended to be just a mobile slaughter service for, you know, custom exempt mobile slaughter. And, uh, and like I, and I have a partner uh, uh, to co-pack with where I can bring the carcasses back to cut and wrap. And, um, and it originally was going to be just that. And it, with everything that happened with the pandemic and the meat industry getting turned on its head, seeing all these other small butchers like getting opened up and everything, and especially farmers that like really wanted to take control of their supply chain and uh, wanted to get their own processing facility started up. I thought, you know, I could affect a lot more of an impact on the industry with my knowledge and skill set by, you know, doing consulting and, and, and actual like on-site training of, you know, startup butchers or even butchers that have been established that are looking for like an efficiency audit and some, and some, you know, tighten up their process or, you know, trying to find ways to make it a little more clean or sanitary or or safe you know because you know being a butcher is a pretty dangerous job if you're not like mindful or have the proper system set up to you know just be as safe as possible and 
And uh, so I've been doing a lot of consulting, helping uh, farmers and everywhere from Tennessee to New York um, and like little restaurant places around here that kind of got upended with the pandemic and lost their restaurant business. They're pivoting to like micro scale meat processing facilities and retail shops. So helping them with all the logistics with the facility, you know, getting set up, power supply, equipment, plumbing and design, and then uh, training and everything too. And then just partnering with Michelle here has been a blessing because the HACCP part of, of the process is a, is a big part and it's really technical and, and can be overwhelming for some people starting up, but she makes it super easy and, and makes it like, you know, so the layman can, can sift through all the regulation and everything. So it's nice to work with her and, uh, and, you know, I can focus more on training and the actual startup process. So thank you. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's been, it's been super good because of course, you know, I mean, I can do the stuff about power supply and equipment and stuff like that, but it's like super hard for me and it takes a lot of work. And so I think, you know, what we're doing together is pretty, um, is pretty interesting. And everybody, as you're listening, we're going to have, um, uh, a announcement at the end about, a. um, a webinar Ben and I are going to do about this very topic. And so, you know, we're talking about what it's, you know, like you're thinking about starting a facility. So from a regulatory perspective, there are some, there are just some, you know, questions people have to answer. Do we do USDA? Do we do state inspected? Are we going to go retail? What does that mean? Because you can't do slaughter under retail. Um, or do we do custom exempt? So, so Ben, what do you wish people knew when they were making that decision? Um, probably just your limitations and your possibilities of each of those options. Because, you know, a lot of people here, like, you know, I have to get USDA inspected because like retail is the only profitable way to like process animals, which, you know, isn't, you know, isn't necessarily the case. A lot of times it is, but it takes a lot more labor and packaging and time and shelving and product movement to get retail into the consumer's hands. Whereas like, if you're, uh, you know, don't want as much of that burden, then you can open up a custom exempt facility where you're just slaughtering for farmers and, and, and cutting quarters and sides and putting them in big boxes and, you know, and not packaging as, as detailed and you can move through quicker, which, uh, you know, you don't make as much, you know, dollar wise per animal for doing custom exempt, but you have a lot less labor and packaging and time into it. So it can balance itself out. And it's all just a, a balance of like, you're, you know, maximizing your labor skill really. And, um, and your, your labor pool and their skill. Like you want to have your best cutters always cutting something and not wrapping meat and, and, and have your meat wrappers wrapping meat and not taking phone calls. And, and, you know, depending on how you have your system set up, you know, you can, there's a lot of inefficiencies that could, that really can make it hard to be profitable with like a custom exempt or even a retail. Uh, you can just get caught up with different things and, you know, but the biggest thing I wish people knew was uh, like training and, and the skill that it actually takes to 
take an animal from love and life to your fork and knife. It's like a lot of work because it's, you know, I mean, it's hard to find like stuff on the internet about like how to actually do the process. You can find videos or like watch people do it, but really until you get your hands on there and get a feel for it, you, you really have no idea. And it's really physically demanding for sure. But um, that's the thing with, with, you know, over time and experience, you figure out all the little tips and tricks to make things more efficient and like, you know, less backbreaking and, you know, you know, just learn the way to do it. So you don't have to lift as much or bend over as much or, or do like the hard things or, you know, wear and tear. Um, but the skill, the skill thing with a lot of the people, I, you know, farmers, they know everything about cattle raising is hard work. So the, the farmers that are doing their startup shops, they like understand like it's going to be really hard work. But then there's some other folks that are just getting into it that don't have experience with, you know, on a farm or in like a, in a slaughter or processing facility. So they think they just are reading headlines that Tyson's making 300% profit margins. And they're like, I want a piece of that. How hard could it be? And then, you know, once they're in it, you know, then, then they're in it because they usually they're, you know, once you decide to do it, it's a big investment to get a slaughter facility going. I mean, I saw, uh, it was i forget where it was it was one of the comments for for one of the uh usda things it said it was a hundred thousand dollar dollars per hook per day that it would take so you know wow. a slaughterhouse to kill one animal per day it, to kill and cut up one animal per day is a hundred thousand dollars so if you want to do 10 per day it's a million dollar facility which i said the metric sounded pretty pretty on par for me kind of you know you yeah. could set up a, a something that could do one animal a day for probably that cheap out of your barn or something like that sure. which yeah. is is totally doable like you know I'm trying to get my one buddy in West Virginia to to just his basement's already halfway there to be like able to get inspected as a thing like he you know he would have to get it slaughtered at a USDA inspected facility but he could like get it to his place and cut it up and and sell his stuff like online out of his farm sure. for way more. I have tons what, of clients who yeah. do that. My very first client was a, is a cut and wrap facility in Maine called Well Farms, and they're still clients. And they um, they did it all themselves. I mean, this was ten years ago, um, but they get halves and quarters from we call them luggable chunks of beef and yep. from, from uh usda slaughter plant put it through and and they've been they've been doing that for 10 years and it can be done especially the cut and wrap can be done very effectively on farm and the usda process is i mean you know i mean it's my job right so i don't think it's <laughs> that yeah. hard but when we think about that i think you know one of the things is is that you mentioned people who were like well it can't possibly be that hard or i raise cattle for a living and i i know how to work hard and i would i would be able to figure out how to cut them down one of the things I find is, is that people who are really good at like that side of the business, working with their hands are not naturally good at paperwork. <laughs> yeah, that definitely rings true. 
you know, and that can be part of the decision-making process. Because the thing is, is that with custom exemption, you still have to, and I want to really emphasize this, and I, I feel like I say this all the time, but you still have to comply with the law. <laughs> you're not exempt from humane handling. You're not exempt from not putting shigatoxin E. coli in the ground beef. Yeah. You're exempt from the paperwork around it, but that's it. You can still get inspected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the way things are kind of looking nowadays, too, with the USDA, they're putting up all this grant money to get people to be inspected. It's almost as if they're like laying the groundwork to make that going to be a requirement before too long, like custom exemption might, you know, go by, by the wayside, you know, in the future, you know, if... I mean, at, I, at we're probably we, a long, long way from that, but you right. know, but at there's, least with there's the not becoming money. any less instances of foodborne illness. It seems like over the uh, right. you know past decade or so. Yeah, no, there's, there's, you know, and we're they there. There was a recent announcement uh, about um, testing sal for salmonella in, in pigs around salmonella performance standards and and that sort of thing. And what it looks like, you know, like and, and we can start talking about kind of like the business end of this. And the the you know people are always asking me where's the grant money what can I do there are great there are lots there are like well not, they're really not lots there are three ways to fund your business when you're starting up you can do like personal personal funding and a friend's family fools round as we call them there's debt financing which is also you know like personal funding um, and then there's grants. And there's a there's grants coming out, but the grants are coming out of the USDA, and they're really not for custom exemption. The USDA, I have yeah. had lots of conversations. The USDA does not believe in custom exemption, yeah. and this whole cow sharing thing is under intense scrutiny by people, even if they're not admitting it. About how can that possibly be legal? And cow shares, and they've already had some like some some notifications and comments on that. But when we look at like the business side of starting up on farm processing, whether it's slaughter plus cut and wrap or cut and wrap only, or even cut and wrap plus value added, you know, smoking and that sort of thing. Um, what do you wish people knew about starting a business? Um, um, I mean, first and foremost, the like capital intensive part, and especially nowadays, like, you know, supply just like copper and metal and everything building materials are really high right now so like any kind of new construction is really really expensive and it's really really long lead times for things um cooler panels i'm getting lead times for like 16 weeks plus um for like the the walls of walk-in chill coolers or something about the foam i guess is is in high demand for other products and they're hard to come by um a lot of the equipment you know an inspection uh head rack came like you know 13 weeks later to the one place in tennessee that i'm uh, getting the equipment for and uh the paunch truck like the gut truck the gut cart for it was like 12 weeks or something so that uh starting up knowing like knowing the things are going to take a lot longer than you think they are i mean i've always kind of like whatever i think it's going to take try and almost double that time <laughs> and wow okay as far as as far as like construction and everything 
I mean, unless you have an inside track on a construction firm or, you know, you, you know, the one place that I'm working with, they actually, his brother owns a big construction outfit. So like they are able to just slap everything together with no problem. Like, you know, they just basically commandeered his whole crew to finish this project and they did it up. Right. I mean, blueprints, I mean, it's a whole processing slaughter and processing and retail shop, all brand new construction and, and uh and did it up really nice but it but it still is very expensive to start up and uh but you can start small like i said you know you know one animal per day i mean one cow per day is is not much to balk at if you can make six or eight hundred bucks on a cow like that's a good day's work <laughs> you know sure. like, making 800 bucks a day is not is not a bad living now you gotta you know you got time that you're you know cut like aging it and then and then freeze time and then you got to move it and everything like that but as far as uh like the the hours to do it you can kill a cow and you know even an inexperienced person you can kill a cow in less than half a day and then you know, probably take you about a full day or so to cut it up, depending on how fat it is and, and everything with trim specs and, and all that. But, uh, but yeah, the, and then the other thing about like the business, the business part of it, you're saying mm-hmm. the business part of it is understanding the marketing of the whole carcass, because that is, uh, I don't know how many small butcher shops I've seen just go belly up in less than a year because they start up with this idea that they're going to sell nothing but whole, like no, no box meat at all, just breaking down whole carcasses and selling retail for that. And they all found the same, like the same thing was they'd sell steaks, you know, with no problem. And they'd be sitting on a bunch of trim and other things that don't really sell. And then their freezers just kept getting piled up with, you know, trim and ground meat and stuff like that. So like understanding and, and, and laying the groundwork early to try and market your stuff before you, you know, which is not hard nowadays. If you can, if you're processing local meat, you really have to, all you have to do is, you know, put that out there that you have local beef or lamb or goat or, or, or pigs, whatever. And, you know, they pretty much sell themselves because everybody's out there now, like with the big packers under such scrutiny, people are like, Oh, what's the deal about this? Like, Oh, maybe we should, you know, make more of an effort to get like local wholesome meat instead of just getting the box meat from the grocery store. So, uh, but understanding how to, you know, to market that like ground meat and the less the de- less desirable stuff and just try and maximize everything because now you know anything that you don't use and you throw in the barrel you have to pay somebody to take that away and surprise surprise they just consolidated even more so uh with uh darling buying up valley so now like if you're on the east end, on the east side of the country there's only like one game in town for rendering and pickups so and they try so we can expect prices to go up for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Consolidation. Right, there's a business opportunity there if somebody listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing about on-farm slaughter too is like really you spent so much time raising that animal and putting all those nutrients into that animal. It's a shame for a rendering company to take hundreds of pounds of 
top notch fertilizer that can go back onto your soil and make you even more like even better crops and and you know that should be returned to the land it shouldn't be like you know given to you know you're paying somebody to take something that they're you know Right. they're making good money good money from you can use it for your land or you know or like with the bones and stuff you can do you know yeah you know, it depends on how much time you got really you can make you know jewelry out out of the bones or you can like crush them up and make bone meal or you can capture the blood and use that as a you know nitrogen amendment to your soil and stuff like that like you know every part of the animal is a usable thing that you know if you can figure out the process to make every part, you know, profitable, then you don't have to do as many animals to make as much money. So. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, you know, and, and, and that's a lot of what we look at is, is what can you do to maximize your profit with your effort? Because this is a lot, I mean, it's a lot of effort to run this kind of business because you were just talking about now, you know, like the, the breadth of skills that you just mentioned in like the past three minutes, marketing, there's finance, there's, you know, being able to run the and finance and being able to run the books. There's actually like cutting the animals down. There's raising the animals. There's like the, the HACCP part of it and, and running. I, that is a broad skill set, and you need, you can't have so many animals and so many things that you are doing that you don't have time to do that. Even if you don't do it every day, you need time during the week. And that just touches the back of the house the, like the front of the house the retail part that's a whole nother thing in itself like cultivating the proper like employee culture and like maintaining that and having the right customer service and you know and knowing you know what people are expecting from you and, and like meeting you know meeting people's like kind of social expectations of everything and whatnot is like a whole nother part that you have to that you have to take into consideration too which is right you know mm -hmm. if you're running if you're if you're looking to do a retail like front facing storefront type setup which like may not be necessarily what you want to do or like you know but that's still that culture part of it which is like i feel like 95 percent of what we talk about here on the podcast uh, um, that culture part of it will make or break your, your, your business. Oh yeah. You know? Especially if you're dealing with USDA inspectors, if you got a, if you got a really ornery curmudgeon butcher working on the kill floor that snaps at your inspector, your facility has just opened up a world of hurt for, you know, the indefinite future because yeah. like, you know, you don't want to get on the inspector's bad side, we'll just say. <laughs> right, exactly. No, this is why. And so in Food Safety University, we, you know, like we give everybody all their documentation, right? And one of the SOPs we have is a workplace violence SOP about what we do. And it's actually also written into the employee handbook that we have in Food Safety University um, about dealing with your inspectors and what happens when an employee does not deal with the inspector in a professional manner because it I, it's I've seen it happen in multiple USDA shops and state shops as well um and it's bad it is yep. like you know they will like be like I'm out of here lock the doors 
Yeah. <laughs> you just lost your inspection and you're under a notice of enforcement. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, especially nowadays too, you have the, uh, the other added factor of like, if an inspector's in the facility, everybody has to be masked and like, you know, a lot of rural country butcher shops is not going over too well with them, right. mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, is going to cause friction and, you know, ultimately cut into your pro, you know, product productivity and profitability because you're spending more time arguing with the inspector than, than cutting meat. So mm. it's all about the culture, all about the culture. Okay. So now let's talk about facilities. You know, we talked a little bit about, um, uh, of like the cost of facilities and that sort of thing. But when we're talking about farmers and what they, um, you know, they generally, they have land, they have, most of them have water, not everybody. So I talk with people a lot about, you know, you need water and sewage and electricity and those sorts of things. So from a facilities, floors, walls, and ceilings standpoint, can you just walk us through like what a farmer needs to start considering when they start thinking about on-farm processing and what do you kind of wish they knew? Okay. Um, we got to have some kind of structure, obviously. And, uh, and it, you know, doesn't have to be anything glamorous because, you know, you'll be padding it out with, you know, the proper food safe, you know, wall paneling materials and ceiling materials and everything. But as long as it's a structure that you can keep, you know, rodents and, 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 you know, pests and stuff out of and is secure and, you know, safe, like not, not an old, like mail pouch tobacco barn that's about to cave in on top of you or anything like that. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, usually what I see is the steel structured buildings because they're relatively cheap. You know, you can buy the kit, your like just the kit for like a couple grand and then, you know, put it up with three people and a rope and, uh, and some like socket sets and everything, you know, it is depending on how much time you got. And, you know, and if you're a farmer, that that probably sounds better to you than having an outfit come in and do it. If you can get a couple of your buddies to like, you know, get together and, and put this thing up. And then, um, and so you need a structure, you need, you know, the plumbing for it, which, uh, you know, depending on where you're at, if it's a farm, you're usually talking about a septic system. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, or just a straight holding tank. Uh, my one buddy has a small processing place that um, he did he couldn't afford really a whole septic system or he no what it was he was too close to a waterway, and so he couldn't put septic in. So he just put a big, like few thousand gallon stainless tank in the ground, and he just gets it sucked out every you know, couple months or something like that. And uh, so you could do that or you know depending on how much land you have and, you know, the permitting and local regulation, there's, any, you know, any number of ways you can, you can have your own like uh, artificial wetland to, to like, you know, filter the wastewater and everything from the facility, but you have to take your wastewater into consideration is, is the, is the point is uh, you can't just let it run into the ground, into the stream or, or anything like that, because especially if you're doing any kind of scale, it's, it's, it's considered, you know, which again, it's a, it's, it's, it should be all considered like, you know, organic fertilizer, but it's considered industrial waste. So it's like, 
Well, there's a lot of blood that comes out of the cows, so yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, overwhel- it overwhelms the local ecosystem pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and and you know, any any like my system and and any place that I like do slaughter at, I capture, try and capture every drop of blood in a barrel or a bucket or something, just because it's so much it's not as messy and you don't waste a bunch of water hosing it all down the drain and stuff like that and you know i guess until we get start getting charged by the pound for getting picked up for rendering then we keep doing that (laughs) but but anyway um and then your uh, water supply has to be uh potable water supply um which well water is perfectly sufficient as long as you get it tested, you know, twice a year and, and everything tests good. Um, and, you know, city water, you know, they have their own testing, which that's all you got to do is show their, you know, city testing, you know, paperwork, which usually you can get, you know, just by email or letter or something like that. Um, and then electricity wise, depending on your size of facility, three phase is always the best way to go because it's so much more efficient than uh, single phase electricity. And when you get into bigger equipment, like big grinders, mixer grinders and band saws and stuff like that, that, that like pull a lot of juice when you're running three phase, it's so much more efficient. Your electricity bill will be a lot, you know, smaller in the long run. Now, that being said, getting an upgrade from single phase to three phase is immensely expensive yeah. if you can even do it because a lot of places, especially farms, you don't have three phase going out that way, but they make yeah. phase converters. I have a phase converter. You just plug it into a 50 amp 220 outlet and it'll bump it up to a three phase. Um, but again, you run into the efficiency problem. Electric bill will be higher, but you know, if you're doing smaller scale stuff, especially if you're doing on farm, like you have your own little, just a meat processing room on your farm, the smaller 220 equipment is, is totally, you know, sufficient. You're not going to be, you know, cutting down giant blocks of imported frozen shank meat from like Australia or anything like that. <laughs> right. Which, uh, yeah, no. And that's, you know, and it's always, you know, I tell, I tell my clients, we learn by doing and all these folks who are like, go big or go home, you know, in turn, which Earl Butts taught us in the Nixon administration, which was probably before you were born. Um, and it, there's, there is a great virtue in starting small and starting, right. And buying the small equipment and using the small equipment until you really learn what you need, Yeah. And whether or not you need the great big old Hobart grinder, or if you can like get by with the tabletop grinder, um, grinding into a bus tub for right now. And, and, or what are, you know, like, are the bands that like, we could have that conversation around a lot of pieces of equipment, um, and you know, there, cause the more equipment that you have and the more equipment that you buy, the more you have to maintain, the more you have to keep clean, you know, um, and the more things that you have to plan for and all of that takes time, money and effort. <laughs> yeah. The, the consumables on bigger equipment are much more expensive too. blades and, you know, replacement parts and things like that, you know, so yeah. yeah. While it would, while it is nice to have a giant, you know, seven and a half horsepower grinder 
that can do 250 pounds a minute or something like that. And it's like, oh, you're, you know, small farm. It's like, wow, I ground all that meat up, you know, so fast. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's great. But, you know, it could have taken, you know, maybe twice as long or a little bit longer than that, I guess. And if you got a tabletop one, but, you know, right. it's mm -hmm. way cheaper and like the replacement parts for it are, are easier and all that stuff. Right. Right. So, all right. So this has been super good. So what I want to announce now is, is Ben and I are actually doing a webinar at the end of the month where we're going to be doing a much deeper dive into these topics. And we're going to be taking questions at the end of the webinar. And so um, the, so the uh, URL for that is in the show notes, but I want to let you guys know what it is. It's foodsafetyuniversity.com slash build your facility with confidence. So, so foodsafetyuniversity.com slash build your facility with confidence. You can sign up for the webinar there. And then on the webinar, Ben and I are going to be announcing when we're doing some in-person live on-farm stuff with his equipment. And these are going to be like day-long things, um, day-long events where you'll be able to ask all the questions and get all of the knowledge out of our brains because it doesn't do any good when it's sitting between our ears. <laughs> it does a lot more good when it's sitting between yours. <laughs> So how can people get in touch with you, Ben? Uh, you can just go to my web website, unifiedfields.net, um, or and that's you know usually the best way. Um, and an email, you know, just a simple landing page for now. I, I had grandiose ideas of having this big, beautiful web page, but really that's uh, got put on the back burner when you got all these other things going on. So, but it's a good way to get to contact me, uh, unifiedfields.net, fields with an S. So right. if you Google unified fields, you'll probably stumble down a rabbit hole of a lot of uh, quantum physics and math theory and uh, <laughs> general relativity stuff. So, which is also fun. I, that's uh, also a hobby of mine. Right. No, it's super. It's I was I fell asleep last night uh, listening to a Neil deGrasse Tyson book and they were talking about quarks and I missed the part where we went from three kinds of quarks to six kinds of quarks. Yeah. I'm having children. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They'll big a, they'll build a bigger hadron collider one day that maybe we'll right. figure it out. <laughs> exactly. That'll be awesome. Another All right. Well, everybody, I, we will uh, see you on the webinar. Be sure to sign up for that webinar, and then we'll talk more about on farm experiences. Ben, it has been great to have you. All your contact information is in the show notes. So if you can't spell unifiedfields.net, don't worry. You can just click on the URL, and uh, the URL for registering for the webinar is food safety.com slash build your facility with confidence. Thanks so much, Ben, and I'll see you on the webinar. All right. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Food Safety University podcast. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, I want you to go to dirigofoodsafety.com and go check out all the things that we have. If you haven't gotten your HACCP download, go get that or book a call with me and let's talk about getting you into Food Safety University. I'll see you on the inside.